hope inside of me. I just thought this little video I'm getting ready to show you has nothing to do with my message, but it's like a just a fun one minute and a half info thing. All right, go ahead. There's another very interesting phenomenon that occurs around December 25th or the winter solstice. From the summer solstice to the winter solstice, the days become shorter and colder. And from the perspective of the northern hemisphere, the sun appears to move south and get smaller and more scarce. The shortening of the days and the expiration of the crops when approaching the winter solstice symbolize the process of death to the ancients. It was the death of the sun. And by December 22nd, the sun's demise was fully realized. For the sun, having moved south continually for six months, makes it to its lowest point in the sky. Here a curious thing occurs. The sun stops moving south, at least perceivably, for three days. And during this three-day pause, the sun resides in the vicinity of the Southern Cross, or Crux, constellation. And after this time, on December 25th, the sun moves one degree, this time north, foreshadowing longer days, warmth, and spring. And thus it was said, the sun died on the cross, was dead for three days, only to be resurrected or born again. I thought that was pretty neat. And, um, but anyway, there's something that I said on Christmas Eve, if you were here for our Christmas Eve service, I didn't feel like I was really able to get into. So I just wanted to reiterate something. In Luke chapter 2, I read this. Verse 8 through 14. <coughs> and in that vicinity there were shepherds living out under the open sky in the field, watching in shifts over the flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them, and the glory of the Lord flashed and shone all about them. And they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the town of David a Savior, who is Christ, Messiah the Lord. This is a sign for you by which you will recognize him. You will find after searching a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Then suddenly there appeared with the angel an army of the troops of heaven, a heavenly knighthood, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased, men of goodwill of his favor." I said this on Christmas Eve that God does not think the same way that you and I think. He thinks differently. I've read this scripture in Isaiah chapter 55. I've known it. I've read it. Probably preached about it. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Let me just stop right there. So God is telling you and me in the whole world that his thoughts are not like our thoughts. Yet, when we think about God, we think that he thinks like us. It says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The point that I want to make is, is that when we're talking about grace and the love of God, and I say things like, 
God is well pleased with you, no matter what. God is pleased with you. Well, your brain and my brain thinks, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You filter through your brain and your process that God can only be pleased with me when I'm doing good things. That is making God think like you think. And the Bible clearly states that he does not. Is that a newsflash for you? So when I say that God is well pleased with you today, tonight, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life, God is well pleased with you. In the midst of your failures, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your hot mess. <laughs> you go, I just, I don't know about that. And okay. Just read Isaiah 55 and just realize that God doesn't think the way. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. What does that mean, his thoughts? He means he doesn't think like you and I think. So why is it important for us to get a hold of this? Because in Romans it says that we need to renew our mind. Why? Because God wants us to think like he thinks. And God wants us to have his ways. This is why Jesus came. So we would start changing our way of thinking. Jesus said this to the people. He said, you have heard it said, in other words, written in the Old Testament. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth. And he goes into all of the law. But then he turns right around and he says, but I say unto you. In other words, you've been thinking about God in a certain way, but I'm going to show you the true way of God. Why? Because everybody in the Old Testament, they didn't know God the way that Jesus knew God. He says, nobody's known God until me, until I showed up. That includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. You name everybody and anybody in the Old Testament, they didn't know God the way that they should have. It's vitally important. So, you know, I, I say this because there's been messages that I've preached that I felt like I was meditating or just thinking about this this week. If you take one of my messages and try to build all of your theology doctrine on, you'll probably be messed up. <laughs> and by that, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was talking about heaven that, you know, we're, we're just trying to get to heaven, you know, and God says, you know, this is the will of God. To pray this way, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So God intends for heaven to dwell inside of you and for heaven to be manifested through you today, right now. But so if you listen to that, you may think that, well, heaven's really not that great. And Pastor Mike doesn't think that much great. No, no, that's not either. And then I preached a couple weeks or three weeks ago about darkness, that where there's light, that darkness leaves, and if you are part of light, you don't have to. Light never does take authority over darkness. It just leaves. That is so true. But I don't want you to think that, does that mean I never take authority over things? No, I do. But my point is, you can hear a message, and if you don't filter it right, if you filter it through your own thinking process, there's times that you're going to miss it. There's times that I've missed it. When I'm reading, studying the Bible, I think one way. And then the Lord just flat out tells me, Mike, you're, that's not the way that I think. For example, about 
You know, I, when I was raised in church, and I used to think if I, if I had a, uh, if I crashed my car, it's because I wasn't pleasing to God. If I broke some bone, you know, well, you know, I sinned. And, and I would just, everything, my thought process and my filtering system was, man, I've messed up, and that's why this bad thing is happening. It took the majority of my life, the majority of my life, to get that knocked out. And there's people who are so believing that today that when something bad happens, it's because of the wrong that they've done. And I'm here to tell you that is so far from the truth, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. And I'm here to tell you that my God, your God, never punishes people for what they do. I know, just keep chewing. It may choke you right now, but if you chew long enough, it'll eventually be swallowable. Swallowable. Is that a word? Don't think so, but anyway. The point is this. Did you know the Jewish culture and their way of judgment is totally different the way you and I see judgment? Again, it's the way that we process judgment. We think judgment in a negative way. We think judgment in a really, really bad way. Oh, the judgment of God. Let me give you an example. Let's say there is a widow woman who has been uh, taken advantage of and people were stealing from her and doing wrong things. and, And so she went to court and the judge sentence and came and says, okay, my judgment is everything's going to be restored to that woman. The point is this, judgment was good. This is the way the Jewish culture and God sees judgment. Judgment, in fact, is to make things right, not to pour out his wrath and cause punishment to happen. It's to make things right. Just think about it. If you disagree, that's fine. I'm not afraid of anybody. My wife disagrees with me, and we're still married. I don't have a fear of hearing the word no. I don't have a fear of disagreement. I've just lost that. Ram is talking about, you know, 2020 being a year where we don't fear. There's certain things that I don't fear. There's people who says, well, I disagree with you, Pastor. I've disagreed with Pastor Mike before. I'm just saying there's times that I've heard things, and I go, I just, it's just hard for me to swallow. But let me just tell you this. There is no person on this planet that has 100% perfect theology. I have learned from some of the best, in my opinion. I mean, from Brother Hagen to Andrew Walmack, Kenneth Copeland. There's some great ministers that I've listened to. Billy Graham. All of these guys are, are magnificent, but not one of them was perfect in their theology. Not one. And if you're looking for somebody who is perfect... Good luck with that. But I do believe this, that people are getting awakening in their mind how good God is. And I believe 2020, I just really believe this and I'm praying this, that 
2020 is going to be a year of great awakening where people see things differently and rethinking God differently. You know, for again, a lot of years of my life, God, I was praying for revival. We just, the world needs a revival, which means we are praying for God to do something because he's not done enough. You ever thought of that? God, we just need you to move. You're, 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 you're not moving, and so we just believe, and so we're up there. We're arm-twisting God. I mean, just arm-twisting. you you got to move in Pueblo. I mean, I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm sacrificing. you got to move in Pueblo as if what he did 2,000 years ago wasn't enough. What we need is more of the gospel preached so that people will realize what God has done for us and to us. And when our eyes are open to us, we'll see more manifestation of that. It's not God withholding anything. God is not withholding healing. He's not withholding prosperity. He is not withholding any good thing from you and me today. There's no sense in praying and begging God to revive, to do something. No, if you want to pray something, say, God, open up our blinded eyes and our deaf ears so that we can truly see what you have done and hear what you're speaking to us today, what you've done even. Well, and I've said this, it's, it just seems like it's more important to people to avoid a place called hell, to go to a place called heaven instead of realizing that we've been placed in a person called Jesus. Did you get that? We're talking about, I, I don't want to go to that place. I want to go to that place. And Jesus said there is a place that is above all the places that you're thinking about. It's a place called in Christ. That is the place that God sees you and me today. That's why he says this to you. I'm well pleased with you. Why? Because when he sees you, who does he see? He's Jesus. How much does God the Father love Jesus? Holy cow. By the way, he says that in 1 John, with the same love that I love Jesus, he says, I love you. Wow. Your brain just goes tilt. Your brain just goes tilt. I feel like I've got a scripture for us for 2020. Are you ready? This is going to be for the whole year. Romans 15, 13. This is the Passion Translation. It says, Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy. What is uncontainable joy? We just can't comprehend that. It means you can't contain it. That's a lot of joy, is it not? With uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. Now, there's the key word. If you want this uncontainable joy and this perfect peace, there has to be a trust. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround you with life, I mean life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. In other words, you should just be glowing with hope. Paul wrote this to the Romans, I mean to the Christians at Rome when the Romans were in charge. How many know they weren't nice Christians and people? So this is what he wrote at the end of his letter to them saying, I just want you to know 
This is how I see you. And there's great hope for you, so don't give up. Radiate with hope. Radiate with hope. This is the New King James Version. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Listen, if, if you're going to have joy and peace, you've got to believe something. And when you start believing something, you're going to abound in hope. And it's not the hope that you and I think, oh, I just hope, oh, I hope this happens. I hope this happens. No, God kind of hope is this is going to happen. Expect it. Expect it to happen. It says that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul sits there and he saw something and he started thinking like God thought. He says, I see goodness in you. You think, what? Well, you don't know me, Paul. Paul just makes a blanket statement. I see goodness in you. How can he say something like that? Because he started thinking like God thought. When we start seeing people, we need to see them and think of them the way that God does. This is how you can love your enemies, by the way. This is how you can think well of people who are a thorn in your flesh. Don't look at me so holy. We all have people in our life that are thorns in our flesh, some of us more than others. Some of it's not even a thorn in our flesh. It's bamboo underneath our fingernails. You know what I mean? It's painful to even be. But this is what God says. He says, when you start seeing people think and thinking differently, you'll be able not just listen to this. You'll not just be able to tolerate those people. You will be able to love them. And your brain goes, you know, you don't know that person. You don't know my people. You don't know my people. No, I don't. But neither do you know God the way that you should. Hope brings about trust. Trust brings about this. It starts manifesting in this uncontainable joy and peace. 2020, I believe, is going to be a great year. The more that we trust, the more that we abound in this hope that is in all of us. And everybody here has that hope in them. You don't have to pray for it. Don't have to do good to get it. It's in you right now. The hope of God is in you right now. But if you're looking on the outside, you'll miss it. So I, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'll be real transparent. I, I just got, over the last few weeks and months, I've just been discouraged about my goal and vision. You know, the, I'm believing for the Kmart building to be our next building and believing for the youth center for the city, believing for a college, and, and I just feel like, can, can that even happen? Can that even happen? And you know, we sang that last song, uh, Beyond the Doubt and Unbelief, God rises, raises us up from the ashes. You know, when there's ashes, there's no hope for man. You know, when your house burns down, there's nothing can come of that. There's no hope after it's burned down. You realize the Bible says, 
I will bring beauty out of ashes. What does that mean? Even in your ash pile, my ash pile, hope. There's hope in those ashes. You go, no, there's no, that can't be. Well, then you're not looking within. You're looking on the outside at the ashes. But God says, if you look within, I'll cause beauty to come forth out of ashes. What does that mean? I can bring something out of ashes. When there's no hope, Abraham believed in hope against hope. What does that mean? Some 90-year-old woman, a 100-year-old man can't have children. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. And Abraham realized this, but then he turns right around and he says, against hope, I believed in hope. What was he saying? God put hope inside of Abraham. There was hope inside of Abraham. Abraham wasn't this great man of faith and power. I mean, we can look at that, but man, this is the dude of Sarah coming up here and he comes to this king and the king says, so who's this beautiful woman? It's my sister. Because he thought he was going to lose his life if he said it was his wife because he wanted, he thought the king would want her and the king did want her and he took her and Abraham goes, whoo, that was close. You talk about great man of faith. Most women today would go, no, you ain't getting away with this. The king may believe your lie, but I'm going to tell the truth. No woman, I'm pretty sure no woman today would just go, yeah, I'm his sister. <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't believe in guns? It'd be a frying pan or whatever. It would have been something. No. God placed hope inside of Abraham. Listen to me. I don't believe there's anything that w- what we can do that God puts it in us to give us the availability to believe it. So, my vision for 2020, I want it to become your vision. I want it to become your goal. Yes, I'm still, I'll say this. God never did speak any of those three things to me, by the way. That's just something I wanted. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, God spoke to me and said this. No, never has. Never did. God didn't speak to to me and say, believe for this, Mike. No. Something that I wanted. I don't believe God, though, has a problem with things that you want. Say it again. I don't believe there's a problem with things that you want, that God didn't even speak anything to you. But I do say this. I believe God helped me. He says, Mike, I know you you like to see a thousand people. Man, I I just think, how many of y'all, don't raise your hand, but do you think that we are preaching the gospel that is changing lives? I believe that with all my heart. I wouldn't be doing this. I believe it with everything within me that I've seen lives change, seen people's lives change, seen things happen, so good things have happened. And I believe it. So that's why I want, to, I want to preach to thousands. Not because I want this huge ministry. I just want to see Pueblo and the world changed. And I believe we don't need a revival. I just believe we need the gospel preached. The gospel preached. And I'm not saying that I'm the only one doing it. Do I know? I'm not. But I am saying more people need to hear what's been preached here. And by saying that, I just feel like, okay, God, I'm not, we don't have a thousand. We run anywhere from 150 to 170 people here, both services. Not today, but usually about 150 to 170 people. 
So I thought, you know what? 200 people wouldn't be a stretch for 2020. That means 30 to 50 people. 200 people. Why are you, you just believing like that? I saw a video about Neil Armstrong, and I'm going to reach him from a message I'm preparing two or three weeks from now. It said this, Neil Armstrong, he, when he was getting ready to step off onto the moon, he says, it's one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. For us to get from here to the moon, I mean, it was a tremendous thing. But when he got on the moon, it was just a small step. It's a small step. But to do what he did, it took a small step for a giant thing to happen. So for you and me, we need to just start taking small steps. We just need to start taking small steps. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a small step for 200 people in 2020. But this is the thing. I don't want it to be a Micah Melody thing. I want it to be your goal and your vision. I said this in the first service. I wasn't planning on it. It just came to me. I believe, in case you all don't know, I believe for illustrations. You may not know this, but a lot of the stories I tell, they're not in my notes. 90% of the stories I tell, they just whoop, come to me. And I believe it's a God thing. But anyway, so this morning I was preaching this. All of a sudden, the Lord just said, you know, when you work for FedEx, most of you know that I work for FedEx. I bled purple and orange. I just felt sorry for everybody who worked for UPS and the brown people. But anyway, uh, I just, I, I really made their goal and their vision. It became one with Mike. I worked 50, 60 hours a week. I mean, I just did it, everything. And I wasn't doing it just because I wanted more money. I really, truly believe that this is the greatest corporation on the planet, shipping packages. I just saw what they did. And this was before they became a billion-dollar corporation. This was in 1980. First company in 10 years, for the first 10 years, they became a billion-dollar corporation at that time. Fastest. But anyway, I started believing them so much that I would try to think. I was in charge of the aircraft operation. I would try to think of ways where we can unload. We had 30 minutes to get that 727 unloaded. 30 minutes from the time... It, we chalked the front wheels. We had 30 minutes to unload that whole aircraft and for it to un, unchalk and motion for it to go. 30 minutes. So uh, my job was to put a team together. We had 13 people to see what we could do to make that a faster way to do it. And I would come up with different ways, and we could get it done sometimes in 20 minutes. That was phenomenal. People would just go, whoa, it's crazy. But there have been other times that I said, we could do this. I would present it before my boss, and he would say, no, we're not going to do that, Mike, because this wouldn't work. And there's sometimes he goes, no, you wouldn't even give me a reason. And I never did get offended. And I wondered, I thought about that because I thought, you know, in church, we get offended when people tell us no. And I didn't. And I thought about this, and I thought, why? I mean, it wasn't because I was super spiritual back then, that's for sure. I didn't because I knew that his goal and my goal were the same goal. And if he thought that this would not be the betterment for the company, then I'm going to go, okay, I agree with you. And likewise, when he would see one of my ideas, he would go, it's going to make it better. We'll take 30 seconds off our time. 30 seconds? What's the big deal? It's a big deal. Because every Monday morning, 
Fred Smith, the owner of the corporation, he would go down the list and see which city's aircraft was late. You didn't want to be on that list. And if you were on that list, many times you wouldn't be on their payroll. That's how big a deal it was. But my point is this. I became one with their goal and vision. And because I became one with their goal and vision, within four years, I was making $38,000 in 1981-82. That may not seem like a lot, but we're talking 40 years ago. 38000 bucks was pretty good. It was good enough that it put me in a brand new home, driving brand new cars, doing everything that I wanted. It was a lot of money. And yet, I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I believed in the company and gave my heart and soul to it. And because I did that, money followed me. My point is this. If you truly believe in what we're doing here, then make it your vision as well. Become one with that. Because the two of us, we're not going to get this done. I'll just flat out tell you. We're not. And? To be honest with you, I'm okay if nobody jumps on board. I'm okay if a handful of people do. I've, this, I've come to the conclusion after doing this for, I'm 60, so I can say a lot of things that I wouldn't say when I was 40. But uh, I really don't care. Give a flip. I'm going to enjoy my journey. I'm enjoying my journey. I, I found out I've already lived the majority of my life, so these next 20, 30 years, I'm going to just think, I'm enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying the journey. No matter what happens, no matter what disappointments, I just felt like God says, Mike, John 10.10 is for you. You should enjoy life. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on, God wants you and I to enjoy life. But this is what we have to do, Psalms 42.5. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? This is David. He was fighting depression. He sat there and goes, why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. And if you do that, soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. So what is he saying? Man, there's times that we have disappointments. There's times that you may get depressed. There's times that things may not go the way that you think. But he says, hey, don't look at those things. Look at God. And if you keep looking at God... You're going to start praising God. You're going to start getting happy. It's going to, you're going to pull yourself up by the bootstraps because God, there's no way to be in the presence of God and be depressed. It's just impossible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement, and he's given us encouragement, and he's given you good hope. And how did he do it? By grace. What is he saying here? You and I can't earn this. You can't do anything to get a hold of this. It's given by grace. Hope and encouragement is given to you and me by grace, which means grace is a person. It's Jesus, which means is you can't earn or do anything. We all knew that for salvation. Oh, you can't earn salvation. And then we get saved, give our life to God, and now we have to earn everything. I don't know who came up with that, but that's the way we got to be good so that God will bless us. We got to, we got, (laughs) oh, and if we don't give, God's not going to bless us. 
I'm probably one of the top ten givers in our church. I can probably say the top five. But I don't give so that God will bless me. I give because I am blessed. And I know it whether my checkbook says it or not. There's a difference because for the majority of my life, I preach that if you don't tithe, God may not bless you. Probably won't bless you. If you don't give, God's he'll withhold things from you. Now, I'm saying this and people are going to go, whew, good, because I ain't never going to give in this church. That's all right. But then you don't have the revelation that you're blessed. Just saying. Pastors would say, don't ever preach that, Mike. If you do, people are going to quit giving. They'll quit giving if you say that. No, I believe you if, you. if you really get a hold of the goodness of God, I don't get healed and I don't get blessed based upon what Mike does or does not do. I am totally blessed and totally healed and totally prosperous because I believe in what Jesus has done for me. I am determined to teach and to preach people that it's not about you or me or what we do or don't do. I'm here to tell you about what Jesus has done, and it's a place being in him that causes you and me to be blessed. It's in him that I'm healed. It's in him that I'm blessed. It's in him that I have life, eternal life, everlasting. It's because of him and has nothing to do with Mike. Nothing, absolutely nothing. When I was in high school, we sang that song to the opposing team. Did you hear that song? N-O-T-H-I-N-G, and that's what this team means to me. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's really a bad song. It's really a bad song. I went to a high school of 3,000 people. You hear 3,000 people sing that. Woo, it just gets into you and makes the other team go. And you know, they got about 50 on the other side. Go, yeah. And I'm here to tell you that's what the devil means to me. That's what Mike means to me. It's anything that Mike can do is nothing. We can't do nothing to impress God. People give and say, oh, man, I gave this. You don't impress God by your giving. You don't impress God by your serving. That's another thing preachers don't ever want you to know because, you know, we need people to serve. Obviously, if people didn't do stuff around here, I mean, can you imagine me preaching and going, oh, the mic's not working. Give me just one minute and run back there. And No, of course we need people to serve. But I want you to know, man, we, you serve because you want to, not because God's going to bless you or not bless you. I'm preaching really good. It's by grace. I said it's by grace. I said it's by grace. And because of that, that just segues into the next thing is because I've had many disappointments. And I know you hear preachers preach, I mean, from Andrew Walmack to Brother Hagan and Kenneth Copeland and all that. And you'll hear people say they've had great testimonies of great miraculous things. But every single one of them, there's not a person who's preached the gospel that has not had major disappointments. And I mean major disappointments. We all have. I remember 17 years ago, 
my nephew and his wife was coming to our church, <clears throat> and their daughter was right in between Jared and Joel. Jared was five. She was three or three and a half, almost four, and then Jer- Joel was three. So she was right sandwiched in between them, and they became best buds. They came every weekend they spent at our house. Those kids, they were just best of friends and everything. And 17 years ago, she was almost four. She got real sick. And we were praying as a church, believing God. And she died. She died. Out of all the years that I've been in ministry, that was the greatest temptation for me to quit. When she died, I walked out of the hospital, walked to a place and got by myself, and I made a phone call, and I called a friend of mine, and I said, I'm going to quit. I said, I believe in healing. How can I preach healing? I'm believing for somebody, and they die. And I preached, I mean, I prayed for people before, and they died, but this, this was a biggie to me, a little bitty girl. Couldn't believe on her own. She's totally dependent upon everybody else. And I told this guy, I said, I'm going to quit. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he talked to me. And I don't remember what he said, but he caused me to think. And then when I stopped thinking like I was thinking, I heard God. And he just encouraged me. He put hope inside of me. And I'm thinking, if I were to quit these 17 years, how many people have been helped, have been healed, have had marriages put back together, have had relationships that have been prospered and believed God for new jobs. And I think, wow, we may just have a couple hundred people, but it, over 17 years, it's been thousands of people that have heard me preach and teach and over the Internet. So my point is this, you can be disappointed, and there will be disappointments in 2020. There will be. But this is what I've determined after 17 years after that, is this, that no matter what happens, I'm still going to cling to him and do what I feel in my heart I need to do, no matter what, no matter what disappointment. If I see somebody die, I'm going to keep believing God for healing. I'm going to keep preaching healing until there's no breath left inside of me. I'm going to keep preaching prosperity and God meets all of your needs and you're abundantly blessed no matter what happens to me financially or to what happens to the church financially because I'm determined to believe God based upon what he's done on the inside of me, not based upon what I see, feel, taste, or touch or the circumstance that may present before me. Are you that determined? Because I believe today there's literally millions of people, thousands of people in Pueblo that don't go to church because they've been disappointed. And they quit and gave up on God because of that disappointment. And I'm here to tell you that God wants you to know, even in the midst of your disappointment, if you keep fixing your eyes upon him, in the midst of that disappointment, he will bring you up out of the ashes and set you upright. If you keep believing. Or you can give up on God, which a lot of people have. And I understand that. I totally get it. God gets it. Oh, this person was believing and it didn't happen. I get why they they gave up on God. I get it. 
But this is the thing. If you can get what I'm saying to you today in the midst of that disappointment, you'll see the sun shine brighter. The birds will begin to sing. And you can dust the ashes off of yourself. And you'll see joy and happiness once again. If you don't quit. Philippians 1.20 says this, For I have eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that will cause me to be ashamed of myself. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I, I don't ever want to do anything to be ashamed of myself. Man. But that I will always be ready to speak out boldly for Christ. While I'm going through all these trials here, and you know what the trials were with Paul? He was stoned to death. He was put in prison for two years and did nothing wrong. Shipwrecked. Spent day and a night in the ocean deep. Almost died several times. Every time he preached the gospel, he had a riot. I'm glad I'm Mike and not Paul. I'll be ready always to speak out boldly for Christ while I'm going through all these trials here, just as I have in the past. And that I always will be an honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I must die. For to me, living means opportunities for Christ. And dying, well, that's better yet. Paul got to the thinking process. He says, I don't care if I live or die. You know, people, you know, when they, they think they're going to die, you know, they're so sad and they get depressed. Paul, he's exactly opposite. You know, some doctor says, you're going to die. <laughs> Let me kiss you on the forehead. I love you. I have a feeling he may do that. He didn't care about dying because he says, for me to die is gain. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that Paul believed that you should be healed, but he was not afraid of it. Most Christians who believe in heaven are afraid of dying. Something's wrong with that equation. I'm just saying. If you really believe in heaven, you shouldn't, there should be no fear of death. <laughs> That's a news flash for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm so afraid. I remember my father laying on the bed and he was getting ready to go see Jesus, and he just said, Mike, I'm afraid. I just don't want to die. I said, why are you afraid? Your last breath that you take here, you will take your first breath with God Almighty there. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. I got this quote from a, a guy, and it just made me think. My time's up. Give me one second. What if there was no hell, no future judgment, no consequences for sin, no rapture, no reliable Bible to trust, no rewards for faithful service, no miracles, no healing, no anointing to receive, no prophecies to fulfill, no faith formulas to protect you from harm or financial ruin? Would you still passionately pursue Jesus? Would you still love him? I've answered that question. Yes, yes, and yes. I believe there is a heaven. I believe there is a Bible to be reliable. I believe those things, but at the same time, that is not why I serve him. 
It's because of these things. I don't serve God because I believe in miracles and, and the gifts that he gives us. I serve God because of Jesus. If he never did another miracle in my life, if I never spoke a prophetic word, if I never saw anything supernatural again, it would not have, never change how I feel about him and what I do on this planet. What say you? What say you? Jesus sat there and he told the people, he said, uh, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part of me. He had lots of disciples at that time. The Bible said they all turned and left him because they could not grab hold of what he was saying. He was basically saying the communion. Partaking of Jesus means that you're partaking of the kingdom and you'll see it. The bread, the wine, his flesh and his blood. But they couldn't handle that. Everybody left. So he turns to the 12 disciples and he said, y'all want to leave too? As a pastor, you don't want to say that. If three-fourths of your congregation leaves us and you go to the other part, you're not going to say to them, hey, you guys want to leave too? No, you're going to say, thank you for staying. <laughs> thank you. Jesus wasn't. He just said, you want to leave too? He gave him the opportunity, the choice. Wow. You talk about disappointment? How many think Jesus was disappointed? You got this big gathering and everybody but 12 leaves and then you go to the 12. Matter of fact, the 12 never did show up on his resurrection day. I, I don't know about you, but that was super disappointment too, I would think. He told him, hey, I'm going to die. But don't worry, three days going to be raised from the dead. I mean, you would have thought at least two or three of the disciples would have been there. None. Zippo. Nada. Jesus had some major disappointments in life. He was a man like you and me. He thought like you and me. I mean, he sat there. He had to be disappointed. Judas, one of the 12, he's the one that sent me to the cross. Oh, that was just Thrillsville. It would have been a lot better if it was an outsider, but no, it's one who walked with him for three years. It was one that he washed the feet of. Peter, of all the people, the one who says stuff, who he gets in trouble. I can relate to Peter. <laughs> Peter and me are, what is that? Uh, Anna Green Gables, what's that thing she says? What? No. What? No. Something spirit. Kindred spirit. I haven't seen that movie in 20 years, so. I'm hoping it'll be another 20 if I see it again. But anyway. <laughs> Peter and I have kindred spirits because in chapter 6, he sits there and Jesus says, you don't want to leave too? Peter sits there and goes, you have the words of hope. Where else can we go? Wow, what a revelation. In other words, I don't understand everything. I don't understand that stuff about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. You know, I don't understand that, Jesus. But you know what? I do know one thing. You have the words of hope. Where can we go? You're the only one. And that's the way I believe today. I don't have all the answers. I don't want to pretend to you that I'm some theologian mastermind and that I'm going to have all of your answers. 
I don't. And I won't. But I do know one thing. That we can travel on this journey of rethinking God. And to think differently. Not the way we've been raised. Not the way that we think the way God is. But to renew our minds and say, that's not God. I don't think he thinks like that. I think we can change Pueblo. I think we can change our atmosphere and the world around us by rethinking God, that he loves us, for God so loved the world. I believe love was what is going to change our nation. As divisive as it is, there's hope. As the ugliness of all uglies is going around the world, love is going to change the world. Not policies, not governments, not the Republicans or the Democrats. It's going to be love. It's going to be love that changes the world. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe we're going to see great things 2020. I really do. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the love of God. We thank you that you're causing us to think differently, to think more like you, for our thinking, our thoughts, and our ways to be more like you so that we can think differently about people, so that we can see our world change. We still have hope. No matter what's going on, how bad it gets, we still have hope. I mean, if a nuclear missile shoots off, we still have hope. Our hope is in you. And God, you will never fail us or let us down or cause us to be put to shame. I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.